Pastor Joe. And I'm Kirsten. We've served in church leadership for over two decades. And most of that, we've been on staff together. We're here to talk about our faith, family, and ministry. Welcome to Under the Hood. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hey, welcome back. So glad you're with us under the hood, which of course has nothing to do with cars at all. It has everything to do with our faith, ministry, and our family. And we just want you to have an under the hood look. And we talk about it under the hood like that around the office. It's just normal language to us. You're going to get an inside look of we're what... We're constantly saying, well, we're under the hood. We're having a conversation constantly about... Constantly saying we're under the hood. So for us, interesting. it just made sense to call this podcast under the hood because that's what we talk about. And this is definitely not a car show. Something that uh, we did, we had a first uh, this last week. Kirsten and I took uh, our son on his first college visit, and that was a new experience for all of us. That Uh, makes us old. It makes you feel old. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to lie. It was was emotional. Yeah. Uh, My brother called me just last night, and he's like, hey, welcome back. What was it like? And I was just talking to him about this particular college is kind of far away. And uh, he said, man, I couldn't do it. If my son was going to go that far away, he goes, I'd be an emotional slobbering mess. I said, well, I'm, who's to say we're not going to be yeah, that too? Yeah, exactly. But anyway, it was, it was, I'll tell you though, probably the biggest eye opener for me the whole time is just how expensive hotels have gotten lately. Seriously. Holy my cow. Goodness. So, so we were, um, the area we we're in, uh, there were hotels, normal, plain Jane, nothing hotels that were going for five, six, sometimes $700 a night. Now there was no way I'd ever pay that, but, um, <laughs> something you needed to know about Joe. I call him cheap. He calls himself frugal. Well, we, we have a hotel brand that we try to stick to all the time. And like almost exclusively, we always stay at a particular hotel because <laughs> except we, for one trip. So oh my goodness, <laughs> we the, learned that was just this summer. Yeah, just this past summer, we stayed. We got on, and we kind of the same predicament. We we could not find anything. So our typical branded hotel was not available. I was like, well, let's stay here at this one. And we we went on hotels.com and now we normally book. Right are we allowed through. to say names like that? Well, you can say hotels. We're definitely com. not getting sponsored by them now. No, <laughs> we don't have any sponsors. So um, you know, our no, sponsor is the Lord. The story is. This was one of the worst hotel experiences we've ever had. It had to have been one of, if not the worst. I sat on the bed and I remember looking at Joe going, (laughs) we're smarter than this. We are smarter than this. How are we in this predicament? No, your exact words were, I dropped you guys off. And and, you know, you just had that feeling when you pulled up. It was 11 o'clock at night. There wasn't a whole lot of options. options. We had driven quite a bit that day. And and, um, and I walked in the door and I knew immediately you looked at me. We weren't even inside that room 15 seconds. And you said your exact words were, how did this happen? <laughs> and you said, we're smarter than this. Exactly. And I'm like, you're right. We are. So here's a little false advertising. Cause like I said, we, we, whenever we have to go to a hotel, we always, you know, we book our stuff through that hotel's app and they're, yeah. they're nationwide and it's very easy and we've got the points and everything else. But on rare occasion, we can't do that. And like I said, we just do that because we know what we're going to expect. There's yeah. a standard and I don't know. We're right. just, we, we just, we like that, that. So we went to hotels.com. We're just trying to find a hotel in the area 
and they lied to us. That's the bottom line. They lied to us. I mean, this hotel had pictures. Yep. It had reviews. Now I think they're probably all false reviews. There was mold in the bathroom. There was a dead cricket on the wall. Yes, there was there. a smush spider on the wall. Okay. I remember that. Its legs it were cricket. there. Its body was gone. It was gross. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, it was one of those situations that I, this, this might be TMI. I don't know, but the. Neil ended up waking up after being in. Well, hold on. Before you get to that point, (laughs) we had no options. And so I I was like, listen, we're going to just grin and bear it. We're going to do the best we can. We tried to pull in our. I'm not even. I'm not even. We can do this. I'm not even going to tell you what we found. We pulled the covers back. So that's that. We're just going to leave that alone. And um, but anyway, so it about it was about eleven o'clock already. So about. One o'clock. One I had not fallen asleep. I'm I'm struggling and, and well, I'm uncomfortable. And and Neil started scratching his head. He had fallen asleep he in the bed next to us and he jumps bl- up out of the bed. Like, what is wrong? And I think there's a movie about this. He just starts dancing and scratching and he's like, get it off. Scra- head to toe scratching. Really, and we're like, what is wrong? He, he goes, I just itch. And we legs, started looking and he had his, hives. Yeah. Everywhere. His legs broke out in hives. This has never happened. This, and we're like, oh, what's wrong? I thought, are we making an ER run? What are we doing? Well, I don't know if any of us have ever, like, I don't think that's ever happened. I don't know. But it, so he jumped in the shower. I don't know if that was the right move or not. I jumped yeah, in the car. Please don't email us if that was the wrong move. I may have been the wrong mood. He, he got in the shower. <laughs> I drove, there was a gas station that was open just down the street. And I and I went in and they had a little. Like Benadryl one, or something? Yeah, I bought some Benadryl and I think I got some cortisone. I don't remember. It was like a cream. It's the only cream they had. And we came home and we're like, rub this in and take this. And about an hour later, he was almost back to normal. It had just like his whole, it was just kind of, I don't know if it was at hotel. I don't know if it's in the bed. I don't know if it was. Okay. Bottom line is we checked out the next morning. It was awful. It was awful. And so I'm up at the front desk and, and I'm turning in my key (laughs) and I'm trying to figure out if I should say anything and there's a guy in line met next to me and he just looked as disheveled as I was that morning and he looks at me and he goes how was your stay and I'm like well honestly wasn't great we were and supposed it, to stay two nights and we're only staying and he go, yeah I said we're checking out early and he goes let me tell you what my experience I'd have been better off sleeping in my truck outside. <laughs> so I think, uh, I, I totally think, agree with him. I think we're on the same. So anyway, totally so, um, so that, we did not have that experience. We would not put ourselves in that that's situation right. so, again, this trip, because we learned from our last trip. So, right. so we, we were on our way home. And so when we left, um, this college, we knew we had a long drive. We we're probably not going to make it in one day. And so our attitude was, Hey, we're not sure. We weren't sure what time we were leaving that city. We yeah. didn't know what. So we thought, let's just find a hotel on the way home. Yep. And so we're driving home and it's kind of getting, you know, you're doing a thing. We're starting to look for our hotel. We cannot find anything. I checked Absolutely. like the entire state. Could not find. I mean, we're, and we're finding hotel rooms going two, three, four hundred dollars a night. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not. No, spe- it was way more than that. The, the one was like 800, like, 700, 600 dollars. I don't know what was going on in our world. Coming back, there was something happening from coast to coast because every so either <laughs> the hotel was sold, was sold out or they had they had raised the prices so much. So finally, I just said, "We're driving all the way. I'm I'm not going to stop and pay this money." And let me just say this: I can't stay awake 
at night. No, I'm on my own. I, it, <laughs> I, there's bodies in the car, but I'm on my own. I was like, I can't be of support for you. I cannot keep you awake. I can't even talk because I, I am not capable. One time we were on this trip and I had driven all day and she, she looks over, she goes, honey, would you like me to drive? I said, I am pretty tired. I, you know, I've been here <laughs> over there laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what I'm going to say. And I was getting to the point where like, we got to get there. I'm pretty drowsy. Yeah. Could you drive for a little bit and I can get a little rest? Yeah, sure. I pull off on the side of the road. We change and we are not even 10 minutes down. Not even 10 minutes. I'm not even settled in. And she looks over me. She goes, dude, you're going to have to take over. I can't go any further. I said, we've been on the road 10 minutes. She pulls over. It's so We true. hadn't gone eight miles. I think and I had done it. No, least it was ten, 10 minutes. minutes. No, and you're like, and you got in the passenger seat and said sorry, and you <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> I drove the rest of the way. I totally. I. It, he's right. So we couldn't find a hotel room, and I knew I probably couldn't make it all the way home. And I, I've gotten to the age where I've just. There's too much at stake. I don't drive when I'm exhausted. It's just not safe. And, you know, I think some wisdom, hopefully some wisdom is kicking in. So I'm, I'm caught in a conundrum here. Do I push something that's unsafe or do I fork over a lot of money for just a couple hours sleep? So what we did was we did something that I think we've only done one other time in our lives. Um, I pulled off on a rest area, shut the car off, and we slept for three hours. And then I kept saying, can you turn the car back on? I'm a little cold. <laughs> I was cold. I was actually yeah, I cold. It was a little know, chilly. And so I slept for three hours in the driver's seat of my car. And Neil, I don't even know if Neil ever woke up in the backseat. He slept the whole way. But, and, and then after that three hours, I you went were inside. like a and, new man. Yeah. And I grabbed a Diet Coke from the vending machine at the rest area. And off we went. We drove another six hours home. It was and, about five and a half more yeah, hours. And yeah. I was fine. And then by the time we got home, I was pretty zonked. I came home and, and we got home about 730 morning, went straight to bed. So anyway, I don't know what the moral of that story is. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. I'd love for you to tell us about your traveling nightmares. But um, yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was just, uh, it was a great trip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rough ending. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. Know um, where you're going to stop next time. Plan ahead. We already said that we were gone for this college visit. And so you usually will pre-record your messages when you're going to be gone, um, unless you have a guest speaker. So how many people I'm interested to know who are listening knew that you were gone? Like they do such a great job with our, with your recording, I think for people that people are listening, that don't, tell. people that don't know what you're talking about, that you know, we basically played the video of me preaching. Yeah, virtual Joe is virtual what our family Joe. calls them, and we have an LED wall at our church, and it's pretty realistic, and so they shoot it full body. Yeah, and um, now when we go multi-site, this is not how we're going to do it. I'm always interested because so many people will say, "I didn't even know that Joe wasn't there." Like he, it looks so real like life size i have to give our team some props because it does look it does look real it does look um if you're not paying attention it it does look like i'm standing there it it does look like it's life size it looks normal looks a normal kudos to our production team they do a great job but i will say a funny thing that our son said even virtual joe goes long dude (laughs) such a long message (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I thought that was funny. It was, yeah, it was, it, was, it was up there on the, the longer end of things. And I think Neil had said that. Neil said, yeah, yes, even the virtual, virtual, virtual you Joe. goes long. But, you know, we are a church that is is making preparations right now to become a multi-site church. We are building a second campus on the other side of the community. A lot of our folks come from that way and a lot of growth potential out there, a lot of evangelistic potential. And so when we do multi-site, I'm going to pastor both churches. And so both campuses, both churches will be set up to broadcast to each other. One so, church, two campuses. That's right. Yeah. So it will kind of look like this. The difference is that sermon that people saw on this weekend um, was actually pre-recorded to um, um, ahead of time. Yeah. And when we do this, when we're actually a multi-site church, mm-hmm. it will be live broadcast. So if I'm preaching here at, at our at our Reardon Road campus, that's going to be broadcast. So it's going to feel different because when you're preaching to when there's hardly anybody in the room right. versus when it's a full house, empty, you yeah. hear the people, you can just feel the interaction. You can feel that there's people around. So it will even feel more. So some of the feedback that I'm getting, obviously I don't, I don't expect this to be a, you know, a, a pure supplement right. for the real thing. I mean, it is the real thing. I, I'm, maybe I'm not saying it correctly, but but you know, I just think when we go multi-site and we're actually doing the live streaming, it's going to feel even more real. And uh, John was telling me, our worship pastor was telling me earlier this morning, he had somebody come up and say that uh, they didn't even know I wasn't there. I know. And I've it, heard that before too. And I've had several people just, it took a double check going, wait a minute, is he there? Is he not there? That's how real it looked. It's awesome. Um, so we're going to try to get the most we can out of technology. When we go multi-site, we're going to do our best to, to, you're going to feel like you're, you're going to feel like you're there, but it will be live. So it'll be different. So I just, you know, nobody needs to worry. We're not going to do these pre-recorded sermons like that. It's going to be, I think it's going to be awesome. We're just going to trust the Lord. He's going to do something awesome with it. But this weekend we continued our Exodus series. And uh, even yeah, though I was discouragement. Uh, yeah, my goodness. Um, when That was something that surprised me when I was studying this text out and preparing mm-hmm. the sermon, uh, specifically the section of Exodus chapter five, verse one through chapter six, verse 12. Um, you know, when you go, you know, of course I've studied out Exodus. I'm, I'm, you know, but when you really get into the nitty gritty for a specific mm-hmm. sermon, you, you learn even more, you pull stuff more out. And what was just really hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting was this whole discouragement theme. And I think it just became clear just through just the process of sermon writing and preparation that that really this is going to take on um, more of a overcoming discouragement kind mm-hmm. of feel. You know, this is the part of the story where where Abraham and, uh, excuse me, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh mm-hmm. and they're like, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to do it. But in that, he goes, you know, who is this God? And mm-hmm. I don't know this guy. Why should I obey this God? There's a whole lot of things with that. Mm-hmm. But um, that was all expected. God said, Moses, this is exactly what's going to happen. And right. so there's really no surprise there. What was surprising is what happened after that. It's when um, Pharaoh decided to make the lives of the Israelites even harder Mm -hmm. because he's like, well, you're just a bunch of lazy people and I'm going to, you know, you're going to work harder now. Right. And the Israelites turned on Moses and they were upset with him. Mm -hmm. And then they turned to the absolutely wrong person for help. Instead of going to God, like they had in the past, Mm -hmm. they went to Pharaoh and said, you got to give us some relief here. Pharaoh said, I'm not doing it. And they got mad at, at Moses and Aaron. And this is the part where we see Moses going, I did the right thing. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, I'm the one that's paying the price for this. Mm -hmm. And, and he really is discouraged. He really, really is 
discouraged. And that really kind of hit me in my yeah. study going, man, this is a guy who's kind of down in the dump. So he does what the Israelites should have done. You know, they went to Pharaoh for help. God, you know, Moses goes to God for help and he just starts to pour out his heart. He starts asking questions of God. And I, I told the church uh, on the over the weekend that I think it's okay to ask questions of God. Mm-hmm. I think everything we do with our interactions with God has got to be with reverence and respect, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course I can't retone into questions. I, I wasn't there, but I'd like to think that Moses was using reverence and respect like he was at the burning bush when he took right. his shoes off. And I, I think with reverence and respect, we can just pour our heart out to God and like, I don't understand this. And Lord, I don't know why you're allowing this. But here, Moses, we're seeing a very discouraged Moses. So we've seen him, this progression. You know, he didn't want to go to Egypt. He tried to get out of it. Mm -hmm. He tried to give every excuse in the world and all this insecurity showed. And now he's obeying what the Lord wants. He is in Egypt. Everything seems to be lined up. He's standing before the most powerful man in the world. Everything plays out like God told him. But it's when the Israelites themselves turned on him, Mm -hmm. he just gets down in the dumps. He's like, why am I here? What, What is all this? And I can relate to that. Well, we've all, we've all, everyone, I think, has faced some kind of discouragement and Everybody. dealt with discouragement somehow. So, Everybody. and I know that you alluded to um, 2011 discouragement of your own, of your own. Uh, I did. I referenced oh, I, that. I would say our discouragement. Yes, our yeah. discouragement. Yeah, I referenced that on, I didn't get in any details right. of it. It really wasn't the right time or place. But yeah, 2011, I look back and I can say that. If it's not the most discouraging season of my life, it's got to be right up there as one of the top two, top three most discouraged. I think what made that year so difficult is that it lasted a year. Long time. It just it just seemed like nothing got better. And just thinking back on it now, I actually think I was dealing with even a little bit of depression. Mm-hmm. I never really associated myself with mm-hmm. any kind of depression mm-hmm. or long-term discouragement, whatever mm-hmm. you want to define. But as I look back on it, I actually think I was dealing with some levels of depression because mm-hmm. just everything was going going. I, I didn't... Um, I didn't get into this very much, but it was in my previous ministry. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think most people in my previous ministry knew I went through that. I think I was pretty good at, you know, not putting on a mask, but just just doing the job and getting on with it was really tough. But I can tell you that some of the things that led into that being such a tough year was I was just having leadership issues at the church. Yeah. Um, I had one of our key leaders at the church had a moral failing in his mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. abandoned his family, and yeah. just just based. I mean, just walked away, and that was a tough one mm-hmm. to deal with to 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 lose a leader over a, a, a just a horrific sin problem in his life yeah. and moral failing. Then I had another key leader who had to step away from his responsibilities because of health issues. Yeah. And then a couple other leaders I was having a hard time getting on the same page with. Mm-hmm. We just were not seeing eye to eye on anything. Right. And just, I'll tell you, meeting after meeting and, and all you do is you just kind of go back and forth and you're not getting anything accomplished. And, and, um, and there was also a season when, um, you know, where we used to be, it was a very transient area in the sense of people, a lot of people coming and going. It's a big city and a lot of job changes all the time, people mm-hmm. moving in, moving out. And we had kind of hit this season where there's a lot of people leaving. Yeah. And that was hard to take too. Cause you know, as a minister, you pour your heart into people and that, that church was a much, much smaller situation. Mm-hmm. So you're able to know people, more people like on a real intimate um, yeah. level and so to see all these people leave, especially people you'd personally discipled and, mm-hmm. or you married them or mm-hmm. you, you know, whatever, you know, you watch them grow and then 
to leave. And then all of a sudden you'll say, okay, so I've got leadership issues. I've got a lot of people that have left the church, nothing bad. There was no drama that way, but just the church had kind of shrunk to a a much smaller version of itself. And I don't know, there's not a minister in the world that that uh, that doesn't affect on a personal level for, on some yeah, like when sure. you see your church at a smaller level than before church was going through some financial problems at the time and i was just i was just down and and the the real really the the top of that list was some of the leadership battles um that i was facing and so i just reached a point where i was like i'm done i'm just so discouraged over this thing it is not worth it anymore mm-hmm. and um the breaking point came when um a decision was made that I was completely excluded from. And it should not have been a decision I was excluded from. It, it was absolutely directional mm-hmm. decision for the future of the church. Mm-hmm. And there was a number of those things, and I just saw the handwriting on the wall. I'm kind of being written out of the story here of this church. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, I don't want to be here anymore anyway. Yeah. So, um, well, I, remember- and I think I will add that the reason why we're being maybe a little bit more discreet about some of the details is because we still care about these people. Absolutely. They're still in our lives. We still have uh, friendships with them, but it was just a season of our discouragement. And so we want to be respectful of them and, and not use <laughs> the details. No, we love them the- all. They're great people. I, it's not, it's just, you know, when you just can't seem to get on the same page with yeah. people, it can be a very discouraged, like when you've got, you know, a vision and dream and you feel like God's put you in a place for a certain reason. And it was just like, so I very much relate to Moses. Like I felt like people were turning on me. I'm like, Lord, why am I here anymore? And, and mm. what, what is this going on now? There's, there's, there's a thousand details I'm leaving out that would probably bring even more context. And, you know, I'm not here to try to win you over to my side of anything. I just, this mm-hmm. is how I was feeling at right. the time. And I remember the meeting when these decisions were made. And I remember walking out to my car and I called my dad. It's funny. I called my dad before I called my wife. And uh, of course you already knew how it's feeling. I just told right. my dad, it's like, I'm done. I'm done with this place. I'm leaving. Uh, I'm <laughs> like taking my talent somewhere else. I mean, anyway, that was a stupid thing to say. I didn't say that. I'm just channeling LeBron James right. there for a minute. I'm taking my talent to South Beach. No, I, I, I was like, I'm out of here. And um, what I did not know at the time is that the next year of my life was going to be, I mean, that was already discouraging, but that was the preview to the next year of my life. Mm-hmm. And, and there were many times, but I can tell you a real turning point. Um, in my sermon, I talked about how God, God had to basically set Moses down and he had to tell him, and this is what chapter six is all about. Moses, let me tell you, um, I'm going to keep my promise. Hey, I made a promise. I'm going to deliver these Israelites. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. My, my word is my word and I'm going to do it. And then, and then he revealed some things about God. Like this is where he says in the very next verse, um, six, two, he says, I am the Lord. And this was a new name for God. You know, if my, if what I understand is, is mainly, you know, the word up to that point, you know, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the word for God was El Shaddai. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, no, I am Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And, and God says, you know, there were parts about me that not even Abraham, Isaac and Jacob really understood. Mm-hmm. I'm revealing myself. There was like, I'm going to give you a fuller understanding of who I am. I am the Lord. I'm the God of the universe. I'm overall the one that never changes. And then, so we had to re- remind him about his, about his name and, and then about the covenant he had established. We see God's compassion. He says there in, in, uh, in, in verse five, where he says, I've heard the Israelites. And he's like, 
I see it. I know what's going on. And then at the very end, you know, he, he lists off from verses six to eight, you know, the, the seven I wills. And he says, I will bring you out of slavery. I will free you. I will redeem you. And all that speaks mm-hmm. to his control. I very much related to that because on some aspects, that was my 2011. I had questions. I don't understand. I'm not trying to compare myself to Moses or deliverance <laughs> of the Israelites and far be it, but, but it resonated with me. And I think that's probably why the sermon came out the way it did mm-hmm. because I've seen all these things and, and God had to give me some reminders too, that he was in control. So like, in the middle of all that discouragement, I'm out interviewing with other churches. I'm trying to find another job. I'd pretty much made up my mind. This is not my future and I need to do something different. And that was probably the problem right there was I need to do this. I'm going to go chart my own course here. This I'm taking matters into my own hands. As I'm just looking back on it, honestly, I think some of that attitude was there. I've got to make right. things happen. Well, I, I think God made it really clear that that was the attitude. I, I'm moving on. I'm right. doing this. I'm going to, or we, um, depending on how you look at it. And God was like, mm, not so fast. Well, I think my discouragement was driving actions. And really my discouragement should have been driving my prayer life. For sure. And I think that's probably one of the biggest difference. It was one of the lessons I learned in that season is not let my discouragement drive my actions, my behavior, let it drive my prayer life. And so, um, anyway, I, I remember, um, I was sitting at my computer, I think I was working on some interaction with some church and, and a buddy of mine from out of state texted me and he's like, what are you doing? And this and that. And I, and I remember firing back a, a text, maybe it was an email. I think it was an email actually. Yeah. Back and in that day. Back in that day. I, actually, I think it was, and I think I think it was an email actually. Okay. And I remember it saying something to the effect of, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm yeah. not waiting around. It was very more aggressive than what I usually am. And, yeah. and, um, and I had music playing on in the house. And the song at the time was a very popular one. And it just goes, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. As we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the... And it just kind of hit me. It's like, whoa. And I'm not one of these guys that looks at... I don't read a whole lot into that kind of stuff. But it just, it did kind of hit me, you know, that it was just background music. And I had just typed, I'm not waiting around any longer. That's what I remember. I'm not waiting around. And this song. And cue this song. And I think it was Chris Tomlin's song. It says, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And I I remember it just going, that's odd. So I deleted the email, wrote something very generic. Hey, thanks for reaching out kind of thing. And then it was about an hour later, my phone rings. And my, it was my dad. Your dad called. And he said, hey, Joe. And and this this was out of, this was weird. He said, hey, Joe. Um, out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary. Yeah. Middle of the day call from me. He said, hey, I was studying my Bible this morning. And I was actually in the book of Nehemiah. That's where I'm studying right now. And I just got this overwhelming sense that you're supposed to just wait something out. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, it was so strong in me that I really feel like God wanted me to call you and tell you that. And I'm like, wow, Dad. You know, I mean... Um, you know, my dad and I, you know, he's in heaven now, but we had a great relationship. You know, I, I looked to him for a lot of things, just life and ministry. And so, he was always really encouraging. So absolutely. something like him calling isn't out of the ordinary, but him calling and saying in the middle of the day, work day. Weird. Of, it was hey, weird. in my study. Yeah. So so an hour earlier, I was writing this pretty aggressive email about what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to wait around. And this song came on, Strength Will Rise, You Wait Upon the Lord. An hour later, my dad calls. I just feel like this. I feel like God wants me to tell you today, for some reason, 
You just need to wait on them. Just wait. Oh, that's really strange, Dad. Then the so that, third thing. There is a third thing. So that was playing on my mind all day long. And then back then, Neil was very young. We had the Action Bible. That's that right. He loved every single night. We would read him a section of the Action that's Bible. That's right. And I'm going to put a little plug in there for all you dads out there that um, if you're wanting to find a way to connect your young children, especially your young boys, to the Bible, pick up an Action Bible. Yep. It's really done. It's the whole Bible like in a comic book, and they're they're really well done comics. My boys loved it. We wore the binding off of our Action Bible. So on that particular night, you know, our routine was to read a couple stories from the Action Bible, and we typically just go through it from start to finish. And so Neil comes up, he goes, I'm ready to read. And I said, Neil, you pick whatever story you want. So I went into his bedroom, I'm sitting on the floor, and he grabs the Action Bible, and he comes in, he plops down on my lap, And I said, did you pick one? He goes, yep. And he opened it up, you guessed it, to the story of Nehemiah. For whatever reason, he goes, I want to read about Nehemiah. I just remember you going, Kirsten! (laughs) Get in here! I was like, "Uh You're not going to believe this. So was God at work in those things? Was God using other people to send me a message? Was he trying to get my attention? Well, I... You know, I'm not going to speak for God, but I, if you want to know what I think, I think God used He's getting your a attention. song. I think he used my dad and he used my son mm-hmm. to send me a clear message that there was that I'm out in front of what God is doing. I just need to wait. I need to trust him. And, and, um, and it, obviously that was correct because mm-hmm. no matter what I tried to do, I couldn't get out of there. Yeah. And, you know, the, the one thing that with all my efforts... Um, it did not produce one single thing, yeah. just a lot of anxiety and wasted energy. And and not to, I could drag this story out for a long time. It just taught me so many lessons. But at the, really, there came a point in that whole thing where something transpired and a door closed. And I knew this, God's not letting me go. Right. And and I, I remember it was late at night and um, we were head to bed. And I just said to you, Tomorrow morning, I'm here. I mean, tomorrow morning, You're all this in. is my last night of being angry or discouraged. Yep. I think the Lord's doing something. I think he's made it very clear to me that it's been a year. Mm-hmm. And if something was going to change, it would have happened in that year. And so I said, I'm not going to be discouraged in the morning. I'm yeah. not going to be mad. I'm not going to be angry. And um, the next morning, I went to the office and I just said, I'm just going to, God's got something going on here for this. And so it was, you know... I don't know if God was breaking me down or or what he needed me to learn. I've learned many lessons from that from that season, but I can tell you right after that things changed. Yep. Things changed dramatically and it had nothing to do with me. Right. Um, you know, some of the some of the leaders that are, are great guys and I don't mean to allude to anything of that. Um they, there was they, some leadership change. There was some leadership transition. Yeah. They stepped away from their leadership roles. Some new leaders came in. Um, God dropped two incredible members of our staff just kind of out of the blue. And uh, we were looking to build our staff a little bit. And they were, had some openings. And God just sent the right two people at the right time. And it took less than a month mm-hmm. for my entire situation to turn around completely. Yeah. And that was um, and what that ushered in was two years of what I would tell you was the best two years I ever had at that church. Yep. In fact, those two years were so incredible. The church grew. The staff was great. The leadership was harmonious. The church was responding. Those two years made it very difficult 
to accept a new call from God to go somewhere else. I mean, yeah. it was really made it challenging. So all that to say this, that very discouraging year taught me a lot of lessons. And the big one, and there's one I try to share with the church, hey, God's got this. Yeah. Just let him. God's got this. Just let him. And just like it was with Moses, God's like, I got this. And he had to teach me in a very tangible way. I got this. Well, I would add, too, that I think you you described a season of discouragement in ministry. And honestly, I think there's a lot of pastors out there that are discouraged and, and find they're, I would say, almost in a state of discouragement a lot. And um, I know that that's not our case here that we are, obviously, I feel like our church here in Northwest Arkansas is so encouraging. I mean, honestly, from day one, they have been a huge blessing to uh, us and our family, and they have been um, the most encouraging. But I say that because I know that some of you in this audience attend other churches, and the discouragement level in pastors is high. Um well, there's been a lot of news stories just in the last year about oh, yeah. about how I mean these just, are like national um, news outlets that are talking about um, you know pastor burnout. It's skyrocketing now. A lot of that with COVID and everything. Right. Coming, I mean, a lot of pastors are 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 commenting that they're they're in a no win situation where the 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 political spectrum in their churches are across. They're divided. Yeah. Churches are divided. Um, divided on what to do about COVID. Mm-hmm. You know. Pastors have been reporting quite a lot about how, you know, no matter what they do, they cannot make anybody happy in their churches, and their um, and it's caused them to quit. There's a Barna, um, Barna did a, a, a study here just this year about this very issue, mm-hmm. um, and it's available online. You can read it, but it said that um, I'm reading from it. The poll showed that ro- rates of burnout among pastors has risen dramatically just in the last year, with a staggering, and this was. This is surprising, but not surprising at all. Mm-hmm. You know, can, can there be a statistic that's surprising and not surprising at all? That's this one. They they found forty two percent of ministers are wondering if they should abandon their vocation altogether. Mm-hmm. You know what? I was there in two thousand eleven. I remember um, one night being so frustrated and down and discouraged that I sat in the driveway and I called my dad. And uh, I'm not afraid to admit this. It was, I was crying. Yeah. You know, I was so upset that what was going on. And I asked my dad this. I said, Dad, would you still be proud of me if I left the ministry and did something all different with my life? That's where I was. I was, I was, if this survey was taken back then, right? I would have been part of that 42%. And, um, and he goes, oh, no, of course I'd be proud of you, no matter what you did with your life. And then he said, but you're not quitting the ministry. <laughs> so let's just get that idea out of your head right now. But he that- knew you were a long hauler. And I think that one of the things that we learned from, I think maybe even your college graduation that in, from, from the date of graduation, nine out of 10 of you will have left full-time ministry. I remember that very clearly. It was at a baccalaureate service mm-hmm. right before I graduated from Bible college. And mm-hmm. and I don't know where these numbers come from, but mm-hmm. and I don't know how true they are, but I in practicum, in reality, mm-hmm. I believe they are true. But he said, look around. Nine out of 10 of you who enter into the ministry today mm-hmm. will not be in the ministry 10 years from now. 
Well, and I would just say that if you're listening today and you have a pastor who you can give an encouraging word to or an email or a text that find out what their love language is. If you've ever read the five love language book, um, there's, there's, you know, words of affirmation, which happens to be your, um, your love language. You, you, and the reason I say that is because you are really encouraged when someone gives you a positive email of, Hey, I really appreciated your, your message and here's why. And I'm not asking you to do that for Joe because he he gets plenty. He let me tell you, let me tell you this. Anymore. <laughs> I don't think I don't think New Life is your average church, and no, I've never felt like not. New Life. Church. I I have I didn't know this level of encouragement could exist in a right. church. But and I know th- that there are so many pastors out there who do not get one email, one text, one encouraging note, mm-hmm. not anything. And they are constantly beat down and told what they're doing wrong. Well, what they're feeling or like that they is- they didn't get right in the sermon yeah. or that they didn't go call on this person in the hospital early enough, soon enough, that they didn't, their their kid acted up in junior church and, and he's such a disappointment. They're constantly getting this negative feedback from their church and they're not being, not, not that... I mean, obviously, we chose this. We were we felt called into ministry, but man, it's hard to work in a place where you're constantly being scrutinized and discouraged, and ha- live in a state of discouragement. Yeah. And so, if you have the ability to sit down right now and write a note that just says, "This is what you mean to me," or "This is what your message meant to me," and or this is um, how this helped me out, this yeah. helped me connect some dots, or or whatnot, and, you know, that's so important. And that's, that's, I think it's missing. And I know that that is one of the biggest things that we've noticed coming to this church here at New Life is that they have been so encouraging from day one. Way encouraging. (laughs) I was, I almost like, this isn't the real world we're living in here because, you know, but I know that, you know, our audience here for this podcast, it's intended for the New Life family, but I know it extends beyond the New Life family. So, so, you know, I think that, I think. I think our new life family excels in, in encouragement. I feel encouraged. I come home on cloud nine most weekends because I'm just loved on. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not deserving of it. And mm-hmm. I, but you know, I, I, people drop me cards or notes and text messages. I, you know, I can't even tell you what that means. I can tell you what means even more than that is when somebody says they're praying for me yeah. and I know they're praying for me because we need their prayers. But if you're listening to this and you're not a part of the new life family, you're a part of another church. I would encourage you to find a way that you can, and it is Pastor Appreciation Month. Yeah, find a way to encourage your pastor. Let him know you're praying for him. Let him know what he's doing that you think is really blessing your life. Mm-hmm. Because if these numbers are true, that right now of this year, forty two percent of pastors are wondering if they should be doing something else with their lives. That is staggering. That let's say, let's say even half of that is true then you're talking about somewhere of like one fourth of the pastors in this country are thinking about walking away. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if one fourth of all the pastors, especially the Bible believing Christ centered pastors, if they are the, the, the conservative Christian pastors, Mm -hmm. the ones that believe the Bible, if they, if one fourth of all of them walk away from the ministry, we've got a crisis on our hands. Well, you're dealing, these pastors are still dealing with their own personal family issues and own personal financial issues and their own, you know, um, you talked about depression. 
there are a lot of pastors out there that deal with depression and they deal, they have heavy loads. And so if you're able to lighten that load a little bit and just uh, share a word of encouragement and pray, you know, for your pastor daily, um, I think that uh, hopefully that statistic will change because there's people out there that really do love the fact that they were called to that church and that you appreciate them and you're going to be their number one and don't cheerleader forget, and encourager. And don't forget to love on that pastor's wife too. She is <laughs> in the battle with him. Let me tell you, there is no him without her. And so love her well and uh, a well-loved pastor's wife does more for the pastor than just about anything else. And don't forget the church staff too. It's not, you know, it's not just the pastor. Like I think here at New Life, we got many pastors mm-hmm. that serve in many different roles. And I can tell you this place would be nothing without them. Right. And so they're, you know, encourage them as well. But let me just say, you know, I think one of the one of the areas that New Life excels in is encouragement. And I have never felt so encouraged in my life. Mm-hmm. I love this place. I, I can't see myself anywhere else ever. And, um, and, uh, but I, I love it. So the new life family is doing really good. Um, but, uh, if you're not a part of my family, find a way to encourage your pastor this week. Um, let him know how much he means to you, what you're learning from him, because there's not a pastor. There's not a real pastor in the world that really feels deserving to stand up in front of all these people every week and present the word of God. You know, that it's like, why me? Right. And and that's a very real emotion. What and, makes me have the right to do this? I went to Bible college for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've read more books. I don't know. But just remember, he's dealing with um, a number of emotions. And one of those is just, am I, am I, is adequacy? Mm-hmm. Am I, Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And why should anybody listen to me? And a little bit of encouragement goes a long way. And uh, I can think of about 10 people right now in our church family that could all write books on pastoral encouragement if they wanted to. And, um, and I, you know, I just, uh, undeserved praise is what I get. And I, and I, it means a whole lot to me. So with that said, this is probably a good point to maybe wrap this section up. And, um, I'm a blessed man. I know it. And why don't you go out and bless your pastors too. That's all for today's show. We want to thank our amazing producer, Abby O'Brien. Be sure to check out our show notes and the links for things that we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for joining us on Under Under the the Hood. Hood, not a car show.